You're listening to Fintechs, A, eh? a podcast that explores the innovations and challenges in Canada's fintech landscape. My name is Sue Britton. I'm the CEO of Firefly Gross and an entrepreneur with over 30 years of experience in the financial industry. I also serve on the FinPay Committee and I'm an advisor for Holt Exchange. Join us as we sit down with industry leaders, trailblazers, and pioneers to discuss their journey, the evolution of fintech, and what's next for Canada's ever-dynamic fintech ecosystem. Our guest today is Alex Bronces, who frankly is Fintechs Canada. Um, obviously, Fintechs Canada is much larger than that. Um, but uh, anyway, as I said, Alex, this is going to be weird because I'm your host for Fintechs A, which is Fintechs Canada's podcast. And here you are, the head of Fintechs Canada. Welcome. Yeah, I think it's for so thank you. I think it's for the best as we approach the holidays. Um uh, uh people are probably gonna be tuning out, get getting ready to to shut their computers down. We have a lot of exciting members lined up. So if I can take up this space on our launch schedule so that in the new year when people are refreshed and want to pay attention, I can free up time for the member programming, I, I am more more than happy to do it. Oh, I see, I see. You're you're taking one for the team. You're That's what I'm telling the, myself. Uh, That's how I justified uh, this. <laughs> That's so funny. Okay. All right. Well, hey, um, I I don't think you're right in assuming that people will be tuning out. I think most people actually kind of catch up a little bit over the holidays, but uh, but we'll let you believe that. Um, Alex, why don't you start with um, a little bit about you? I met you through Payments Canada, I think. And um, but start a little bit with you and your background and how did you end up as yeah. executive director of Fintechs Canada. Yeah, bit of a weird turn of events. I don't I don't plan too far into the future. And so, I mean, when I look back, I feel like I kind of stumbled along and, and um, fell into this. Uh, a one common thread through, I think, m most of my career has been an interest in public policy. Uh, I often tell people that I'm a policy wonk. Um, before this, I worked a bit at Payments Canada. I've worked at the Canadian Chamber of Commerce, not in financial services uh, policy advocacy, but in international policy. I've dabbled in journalism, again, usually with a concentration in public policy reporting. Um, uh, but at Payments Canada, I you know, would say that I kind of drank the Kool-Aid, so to speak, um, started really putting Canada's banking sector under the magnifying glass, understanding some of its intricacies, and understanding how... Um, some some par it is in some ways. I mean, it's fashionable to be proud of our banking sector. There is certainly a lot to be proud of, um, but that doesn't mean it's perfect. That doesn't mean we can't improve it without um, uh, 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 without exposing it to to risk. So, I kind of became captivated by some public policy initiatives and and started pushing really hard at Payments Canada to to try to get them over the finish line. But quickly discovered that 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 environment wasn't really for me. Um, mm -hmm. Perhaps I'm a bit I'm a bit too free spirited uh, for that, and um, yeah, just just through a bunch of personal connections, I found out that there was an opportunity to grow um, uh, this association here, and and Canadian Canadian fintechs haven't had uh, before we existed um, uh, a pure fintech advocate. I think we're one of the only organizations that does what we do as a Canadian voice. Um, mm -hmm. And you know, as a policy wonk, I felt this was the closest I, I'd, I'd ever get to to doing something more entrepreneurial. Uh, most policy wonks end up in more more bureaucratic environments where they're a cog in a machine. And so I just thought, 
why not? Um, it's been it's been a really fun ride. Uh, still a lot of work to do, but we're really happy, I think, with how how things have evolved over the past three years. Yeah, you know, it's interesting because I um, throughout my career I've worked with a lot of um, you know mostly in financial services, but with different types of associations, and um, uh, some of them are less advocacy and more membership benefits oriented and um but i think the it's clear i mean and you know i uh i, f- I feel like i you know sort of might end up sometimes where you are <laughs> and uh it's clear to me that you know in some of those cases like you are you and uh, i know it's a team and and then obviously the members are working hard to advocate for for fintechs in Canada, would you say that that's kind of your primary mission? Yeah, is advocacy. Yeah, and it's an important one. I mean, uh, a lot of the entrepreneurs in this space aren't 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 building um, aren't building just any old software. Uh, financial services is very heavily regulated. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, it's table stakes to do a bit of lobbying, um, a bit of rent seeking with the government because if you're not, uh, your competitors are, and they're trying to use the law uh, to their advantage and mm-hmm. to your disadvantage. So, um, if not to do it <laughs> offensively, um, it's, it's table stakes to do it defensively, and I think that's why uh, so many in the sector have responded positively to what we do. So interesting. You just kind of clarify. <laughs> I, I've never really been a, um, a a government relations person, but probably have ended up being perceived as someone who speaks on behalf of, you know, fintechs occasionally. Never really with that in mind. Um, it's a, uh, I guess it's a it's a it's a bit of an art, and probably a science. I would imagine. It definitely is. I I wouldn't say that I'm. Uh, uh, I'm a good government relations professional. As executive director of the association, I do so so many things. That's just one 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 part of the job. But we have, um, uh, we obviously have an army of political consultants that that helps us mm-hmm. on a day to day basis, um, and we have the members who have their own government relations professionals who work so closely with the association on a bunch of different things. Um, uh, I sometimes get to feel like I'm 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 kind of watching the the um, pick your sport, but like the top team in it play on a day to day basis. Just 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 because I'm so close to them. Yeah, very cool. And membership, um, how's it? How how has it uh, grown over the year? Yeah, it's 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 grown it's grown quite quite a bit. Um, right now, we're just shy of fifty members. We have Canadian market leading fintechs like uh, well. Like the ones you'll see on this podcast, yeah. um, we have global global fintech companies. Um, we have fintech friendly financial institutions. We have the tech companies that power the credit union space. It's it's quite a heterogeneous mix, uh, but they've all rallied around this mission to make Canada's financial sector more competitive and innovative without compromising its its security and stability. I think because mm-hmm. people genuinely believe there are opportunities to do that, and Canada has been slow to take advantage of them. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah, it's interesting the podcast that uh, with Don, with um, Daniel from Coho that we just uh, released. He talked about you know he didn't say this, uh, and so I don't want to put words in his mouth directly, but he sort of you know talked about creating um, competition to drive innovation at the banks. Like at the end of the day, um, you know, not not obviously that he's 
you know, doing it for the banks. But, you know, the end result is still, you know, a uh, a better overall product offering for consumers and businesses with competition. So, yeah, yeah. I, I, you know, the 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 saying is a little trite, but but the rising tide does lift all boats. I think. That's one of the reasons why we've had um, such a heterogeneous mix of companies join um, because we're not promoting fintech at the expense of banks or banks at the expense of fintechs. We're saying the rules for all can be better, um, uh, and 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 the rules for all can be designed in such a way that that Canadians, um, consumers, and businesses uh, uh, f- feel like the financial sector is more responsive to their needs. You know, mm-hmm. I'm 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 a pretty lucky. C- Canadian in that I don't have a lot of issues as a consumer um, mm-hmm. with my 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 providers of financial services, uh, but there are many Canadians who aren't in that boat. And mm-hmm. as someone who runs a small business, uh, uh, I often feel like I am very badly neglected and my needs are not taken into consideration. Um, uh, and I spend inordinate amounts of time doing the more administrative things when I should be doing the more value-added things, actually growing the business and doing ultimately what members join uh, for the association to do. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Well said. So um, let's talk a little bit about the evolution of of Fintechs Canada. You started as Paytechs of Canada uh, and then pivoted to Fintechs Canada. What was that uh, all about? I think there were a couple of things there. One, just just given who was joining the association uh, and how they identified it, it started making more and more sense not to identify so narrowly as a payment technology group and to identify a little more broadly as a financial technology group. Um, I get the sense there are fintechs who do, who don't even like the fintech label; they prefer to be known as tech companies. Mm-hmm. Uh, but we couldn't uh, go that that broad. Um, <laughs> tech so that, Canada, right? I think that might already be taken. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> that that was the first. Um, probably more mundane reason. Um, the other is I felt like, um, well, the, the the reputation of Canada's fintech sector was and still is at stake um, because mm-hmm. there was no body like us that existed before us. Um, the, the reputation of Canada's fintech scene uh, was not really in control of Canadian fintech companies. If you look across the landscape, mm-hmm. There are some groups from other countries that do advocacy here, um, sometimes as a bit of a side of desk project. Um, mm-hmm. uh, some, some, some would tell you that they're not always doing the right thing and, and undermining the interests of Canadian fintechs. Uh, mm-hmm. Then there are a bunch of other groups, um, many of whom are based here, run kind of part, part-time, um, also a bit of a side of desk project, uh, but they focus on very narrow niche issues, uh, creating a very unruly environment uh, for the government. If you're the government, you're looking across at all this and you're saying, who who actually represents fin- fintech? It's all of them. Uh, they're an unruly bunch. It's hard to work with them. Um, <laughs> and many of them are so cranky, I don't want to work with them, even if I could. Uh, and mm-hmm. so we thought we had to take matters in, into our own hands um, to try to repair that reputation and improve it and make it better and better. And, mm. and that's that's one of the main reasons I'd say we exist and um, uh, will continue to exist. Yeah, that's, that makes a lot of sense. I mean, before you existed, I think a lot of us were trying to, you know, whether it was raise profile or, um, you know, try and like, just generally, like to your point, maybe share a perspective that is so well curated by some of the, you know, large 
large financial institutions out there who frankly just have the money to do it right yeah. and uh and i often felt that way about um, when i was on the stakeholder advisory committee at payments canada is that you know even they were in some ways a bit of an unruly bunch because we didn't have anybody kind of you know giving us the preparing us or giving us the script not that those are maybe the exact ways to describe the member advisory council but certainly that i think is the feeling so um i think you you know what it's uh it's it's you've definitely um achieved your objective without having to like you know um put up a billboard i hope so <laughs> yeah um and on that front so let's get into the good juicy stuff um We've had so many uh, great things happen, you know, in November, and I'm sure de December won't, uh, there'll be a few more before the end of the year, but um, Canada has achieved some amazing milestones, really. Um, and I'll let you choose which one you want to, you know, sort of talk about first. Yeah. Um, I mean, the, the consumer-driven banking announcement in the fall economic statement, I think, was huge. Uh, I think it's bigger than a lot of people realize. It's mm -hmm. easy to look at the journey we've been on to get to open banking or consumer-driven banking and say the government's been slow, nothing's been happening. This is just another commitment. Um, and and it is just another commitment, but it, it's 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 the the form that the commitment has taken that's that's really impressive. Mm -hmm. There was no possible world in which the government was going to, in 2023, actually implement a consumer-driven banking system, make all the legislative mm -hmm. change it needed to make to actually put Canadians in control of their financial information. Mm -hmm. um, uh, if you look at what the government had um, at the point where they had to figure out what was in the fall economic statement, they, they actually did literally everything they could, and they did it in great detail. If you read the consumer-driven banking policy statement that the government put out, mm -hmm. it tells mm -hmm. you a lot about what this consumer-driven banking system is going to look like. And it actually makes the 2024 milestone of introducing legislation very, very plausible. Mm -hmm. um, Abraham and the Department of Finance have been consulting on this stuff for a very, very lo long time. They've answered a lot of questions. I think there are a couple that remain. Um, but they are few. Uh, Canada is arguably closer to open banking than it ever has been. And and uh -huh. for once, we're seeing the stars align. Every major party coming out in favor of open banking. Um, uh, uh, the, the media generally has a favorable view towards it. Though many Canadians don't know what it is, I think the government is communicating what it is in 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 the right way to, to make it a very safe, safe thing to uh, make progress on. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and I mean, there's, um, uh, you know, offline we were talking about um, some discussions I've had recently, and one of them in Ottawa a couple of weeks ago. It uh, it's clear to me that the like things might change as you, as as we all know, we have to know. I mean, we had a pandemic, or you know, happen, and we've got what a week's notice. <laughs> um, but things might change, but it, but they're pretty determined. To move forward yeah. with this, this is a, you know, this is a pretty big commitment, at least amongst the uh, the folks th there now. And um, I don't know if you want to talk a little bit about some of the things that um, are, I don't know, maybe anxieties uh, within the industry about what has been said and maybe not quite figured out yet. Maybe one of those might be the, you know, 
um, the role that the government's going to play. Uh, and uh, yeah, what's what's your what are your thoughts on what they've said so far and where that's going to go? Yeah, uh, the the so so the anxiety before the fall economic statement was that uh, the government wouldn't play any role in this and would leave it to a few market players mm-hmm. and, mm-hmm. and a company they collectively own um, to implement all of this to be the gatekeeper of the system to develop the accreditation criteria to to basically figure it all out for government so that government could take credit on the other end and say hey look I did that what the mm-hmm. government has communicated is that that is not going to happen. Uh, so they've placated, I think, a lot of the anxiety. Um, uh, but there is still a question about what this government-led entity is going to look like. If you read the government's policy statement, one of the things it said is that there will be a government-led entity to supervise the system, but it's not yet clear whether it's going to be a new one, uh, one that already exists. I think when it comes to your average Canadian, what what form this takes is not is mm-hmm. not very important as long as somebody independent of industry is calling the shots supervising the market players um mm-hmm. so you know f- from your average canadian's perspective i don't think there should be a lot of anxiety and if the government does everything it says it's going to do in legislation um and spells it out as clearly as it suggests it will um uh n- not a lot of discretion is going to be left to the government-led entity to enforce these requirements. And so who it is and what exactly their mandate is may be less important at the end of the day than we all initially thought. Mm-hmm. But uh, to TBD, uh, yeah. conversations yeah. are gonna re- re- resume uh, with the government in the early new year, and we should know a bit more about what's what's coming down the pike then. Yeah, and and people have kind of likened it to Payments Canada. And the thing I, I, I don't know if you agree with this, but I think the big difference is you know, Payments Canada actually runs the payments system. And and this is quite different. This is not going to be an entity that's going to run open banking in Canada. It is is about supervision. And I feel like the role is much more, you know, about getting it stood up, like getting the, getting all the, the rules and the, the, um, and the standards and things all, you know, sort of agreed upon and then letting industry compete in a healthy, you know, environment with commercial, you know, entities out there who are also going to compete for, which they already are, right? Like the Flinks of the world and, um, uh, and of course, Simcor and others. But, you know, that, that is, that will be a healthy competitive market. And then the government's role will be to say, okay, now that we've stood up all of these standards and rules, we're going to supervise you all to make sure you're all playing nice in the play in the playground. Yes, that, that's that's exactly it. it. It should be a lot easier because there, are this 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 government led entity won't be operating a piece of technology. I think the other um, mm-hmm. uh, 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 way in which this is different is that Payments Canada is a bit of an accountability problem in disguise. If you mm-hmm. ask the banks, the institution has gone rogue. It doesn't listen to them. If you ask fintechs, the institution only listens to the big banks. And if you ask um, Payments Canada, the the government's not helping enough. And if you ask the government, they'd say Payments Canada operates at an arm's length from us. It's not our project. It seems like no one's in control um, of uh. the, the project. In, in the case of open banking with the government-led entity, uh, the accountability, the mandate, um, it should all be a lot more clear. Uh, banks are regulated today um, by 
philosophy. And, you know, you don't hear debates um, like the kinds we're hearing about Payments Canada there. The relationship mm -hmm. is clear. It's accepted. Uh, it should make things operate a lot more smoothly. The same goes for FCAC and the same should go for a net new entity if they create one, provided yeah. they give it that strong, that strong met mandate and don't don't uh yeah. yeah don't don't try to replicate this accountability problem in disguise we have in payments yeah yeah and there are some payments um there's there's some good news payment stuff we should talk about but before we go there um i think i read this correct me if i'm wrong but i think in one of the one of the government um uh statements whether it was in the fall economic statement or the policy statement said that um you know, roughly 9 million Canadians are sharing their banking credentials in order to access apps, right? The very essence of what we want to try and have open banking solve in a more safe way, but then also, you know, many, many other things. Um, and so it kind of strikes me as a bit of a, if, if, if we know that, I mean, 9 million Canadians, we have 40 million Canadians, and of which how many of those are you know, below the age of whatever to be able to bank, um, that we have a demand for open banking. So then why did it take us so long to get here? Yeah, because uh, that's, that's how the government mostly works. Uh, the government is scarcely a leader on these things. The government scarcely creates markets that don't already exist. They they wait for the market to emerge. They wait for um, the market to approach this breaking point. Uh, and then they come in at the very last minute to make sure that it doesn't break. Um, that's that's exactly mm. what we've seen on open banking. If you look at the very first consultation paper, the premise was Canadians are already doing this. They're just doing it in a way that's unsafe. That's why we mm -hmm. need to do it. Mm -hmm. um, uh, uh, that doesn't mean governments are ne are never proactive, but on these sorts of matters that aren't exactly um, politically motivated or top of mind for Canadians, the government's o always going to be a follower, not a leader. Yeah, yeah. It's fascinating. I mean, I don't know enough about it, but just looking at other countries um, and places in the world like Brazil, you know, who m modernized payments and uh, launched open banking, I'm not sure if both of them were in less than a year, but it certainly seems super fast. And um, anyhow, um, okay, can we talk about payments? Um, some of the payments announcements uh, that have been made recently sounds like, I mean, obviously the, the ship has sailed on the Retail Payments Activities Act. So that is pretty much, you know, clear what's going to happen in 2024 and 2025, which, uh, you know, sets up the opportunity for payment service providers to, um, you know, <laughs> to become uh, real-time rail participants uh, with the also sort of corresponding changes to the Canadian Payments Act. Um, we don't know yet kind of when the real-time rail will actually, uh, you know, sort of be launched. And obviously there's some risks and challenges that are going on there. But overall, really good news to have a lot of this stuff make progress. Um, but what's, yeah, give us give us your or Fintech Canada's take on all this uh, late breaking positive payments um, policy news. Yeah. So uh, I'll, I'll clarify this by saying it's not necessarily payment, uh, 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 Fintech Canada's view. It's just my, uh, it's just Alex the guy's reaction. Um, <laughs> uh, 
I think amendments to the Canadian Payments Act are great. I think the progress on the Retail Payment Activities Act is great. We've we've supported both of those things. I, I think fintechs, fintechs Canada as an association uh, welcomes that, encourages it, and wants to see more of it. Um, I think where uh, I I think one of the things that 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 sort of um, mutes some of the excitement that would otherwise be there is that the RTR is still a bit of a question mark. Uh-huh. It, it's great to be supervised. Uh, it's great to be eligible to be a member uh-huh. of Payments Canada. But if you can't access a payment system, which those two things are supposed to enable, what exactly was the point? Yes, uh, with more supervision uh, will come a more robust supervised sector. That's that's good in the long run. It'll help drive trust in the sector. Canadians will be more likely to adopt um, alternatives to their banks uh, for the purposes of moving money. That's all good, but that stuff takes years and years and years to materialize, whereas access to a payment system can make a world of difference tomorrow, provided it happens tomorrow, but it's not clear it will. Um, in fact, I mean, just 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 given how um, how opaque this process is, uh, some people are not sure this thing will ever get built, let alone mm-hmm. in twenty twenty five and twenty twenty six or twenty twenty seven. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I know we've been hearing some rumblings about some other things going on in the industry. Um, and interestingly enough, I mean, I would say I had the chance to um, to see uh, Jeremy Wilmot speak at uh, Central One's Momentum Conference, which is their client conference that they run every year. And Central One, for people who are listening who might not know who they are, um, they are the uh, credit union central who um, provides uh, services and supports essentially credit unions in um, Manitoba, Manitoba, Jisoo, Ontario and uh, BC, the province I now live in. Um, And uh, and so it was a huge event. We're really well done. And Jeremy talked about innovation and about, I mean, he's he's from the payments world. I think he was previously at ACI. Um, and uh, he talked about, you know, like we've already got a lot of this stuff, so let's get going. So I kind of feel like the tone, at least coming out of Interac, is, you know, we're going to drive lots of innovation. And they're a big part of um, the real-time rel if... Uh, if and when it ever gets up and running. So, uh, Canada is one of the few countries without a real-time clearing and settlement system in the back end for retail payments. E-transfer is great. I use it <laughs> all the time. Mo- most Canadians probably think it's real-time, but we know it's not. And you know, I, I wouldn't be surprised <laughs> if for the Bank of Canada, that's, that's one of the um, glaring issues that needs to be resolved. I don't doubt that Interact and the banks want to resolve it, so you know I'm 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 happy to see that they too are now um, communicating this this sense of urgency. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I I mean, ooh, like I've just been rolling around in my head all sorts of like little problems that you know probably people might be thinking like, well, you know, if it's being run by Interact, who's owned by the banks and then you know obviously they'd like to they'd like us to say that they're also independent um you know uh are the, are we going to get the same benefits of you know the the RTR like access you know to for like for PSPs to be able to register and yeah. get access and clear and settle their own and drive costs down and innovate faster and yada 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 will that all still happen with something that's not yeah you know yeah. It hmm. it I mean, it could. 
it's not guaranteed to, but I think about all the fintech innovation that's being enabled by the credit card networks right now who are not public purpose organizations. They're commercial for-profit enterprises with uh-huh. Canada's biggest banks as their clients. Uh, uh-huh. They're able to enable all of this innovation. We've seen some great news coming out of Interact lately um, with uh, broader access to their payment systems for MSBs and securities uh-huh. dealers. Uh, if that's a sign of more to come, uh, then we can expect that they'll probably do the same with payment service providers under the Retail Payment Activities Act uh, when, uh-huh. when, when, when that thing is up and running. So it's certainly possible uh, yeah. Is it plausible? Is it going to happen? Um, uh, you know, that's that's a lot harder, a lot harder to predict. Yeah, yeah. I think there was some news out uh, just you know maybe even this morning, unless I dreamt it. I don't know if you saw it, but about the um, the card, credit card companies reducing their interchange fees for for businesses. Yes. Yeah. I did. I did see that. Although I think you know that that uh, um, the. That that's been a long, long-standing thing in Canada. Um, the government will, you know, tell tell the networks to do it. They'll they'll threaten to regulate. The networks will do it. Uh, merchants will raise, you know, a complaint years down the line. The government will threaten to regulate. Uh, yeah. the, the card networks will lower it. Um, you know, I wouldn't be surprised if a few years go go by now and and merchants complain again and the government threatens to regulate interchange fees again and and you know uh-huh. we're, we're having this exact same conversation uh then as well all of which is just to say i'm not sure that's out of necessarily the goodness of um their hearts um oh, no. but no, no. one thing that does <laughs> bother me a tad is like interchange fee fees for anything sucks right like as a consumer uh-huh. i never want to pay a fee um but that interchange fee does does something um, and when you look at credit cards as a payment instrument, um, mm-hmm. they're they're quite literally a wonderful innovation. Uh, mm-hmm. in, in the '60s and '70s, they they really uh, helped promote financial inclusion by putting products in the hands of middle class Americans that were once reserved for just the rich. Um, yeah. The credit card networks solve wicked trust problems. Like you can imagine, before the emergence yeah. of a credit card, a merchant trying to duct tape together their own credit system that doesn't yeah. scale well it has its lim- limits no no merchant wants to do that in comes a bank and a card network to do that for you which means you can just focus on sales and that interchange fee it's, it's just baked into your price to some extent so mm-hmm. I, I think the problem with interchange fees is not 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 quite a pr- problem and i think it's overestimated as a problem um you know i'm not mm. i'm not saying i'm opposed to small businesses saving more on transaction costs right but i right. i I do wonder if the government would have been better served taking that attention and and putting it elsewhere. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it makes you wonder though too if like codes of conduct. I know there's um, you know, in the lending space, there's some desire to you know, and this kind of came up with the uh, uh, with with the pandemic and how you know um, fintechs couldn't um, deliver government assistance to. You know businesses um, because they weren't financial institutions, and so you know, okay, so if they're not regulated, then you know, can we do something similar to like a code of conduct, voluntary code of conduct, or something like that? But it does. It's kind of it's an interesting world. I know we hadn't planned on talking about it, but um, the good the thing I I I I I think is a really fascinating thing to watch is just how much innovation is happening through some of the 
products and capabilities of the MasterCards of the world. For sure. Um, yeah, which is good for for the industry. Yeah. Um, I think they recognize that the world has ha, the the changing world is a is definitely a ship that has long sailed. Yeah, it it might be a freighter stuck in the you know Juan de Fuca Strait and in in front of Vancouver because it can't dock. But um, anyway, that was really bad. That was really no, lame. it was good. Look, th- I I've said it before. <laughs> I think. I think some of the card networks are definitely some of the unsung heroes, you know, of the fintech mm-hmm. ecosystem in Canada. Mm-hmm. Yeah, they're not, they're not, they're not bad actors. They're, you know, I mean, they they probably make the least amount of, uh, you know, the interchange fee yeah. in the end, right? Yes. Uh, the banks take the bigger chunk. Okay, so let's um let's maybe move to you launched a campaign this year that I thought was super. Um, uh, interesting, and I I don't think I ever had the chance to talk to you about it. But can you give us a bit of a, you know, sort of perspective on, you know, the the what was behind launching Choose More, and 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 how what's the impact been yeah. since you've launched it? So the the reason it was launched is just that a lot of the um, financial sector issues that the government has been working on uh, for years and years and years. Um, that have needed political attention, uh, th- that have needed political decisions to be made, uh, aren't aren't the same issues that Canadians care about on a regular basis or even think about. Um, that doesn't mean, however, that these issues wouldn't help Canadians. If you talk to a Canadian about open banking or payment summarization or whatever <laughs> else, uh, they'll be like, what are you talking about? But if you talk yeah. to them about bank fees, um, about fraud, um, uh, about the, the 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 more tangible concrete problems that they, they face on a day-to-day basis, they'll have plenty mm-hmm. to say about them. And a lot of mm-hmm. the financial sector policy issues that the government's been working on solve them or partially solve them. And so mm-hmm. our theory w- w- was just that if um, you could reach the right Canadians and uh, give them a bit of information about these things, uh, they would support them. So we launched mm-hmm. the Choose More campaign to try to give Canadians a way to elevate their voice and their perspectives. Um, the campaign uh, has been out for only a few months and we, we've we had um, thousands and thousands of Canadians sign up and we've had uh, thousands and th- thousands of Canadians email their elected officials to tell them that uh, the financial sector could do better by them and and the government should make them if necessary. Jeez. Oh, <laughs> wow. I didn't realize that. That, uh, that, that um, I mean, if you could get the stories that people don't even really know are because they don't have... The, you know um, the opportunity to choose <laughs> yeah. more um, because of their you know uh, the current state of their uh, it's you know rural has become a whole new thing new meaning for me now that I'm on Vancouver Island um, I was having a conversation with a one of the banks and uh, they they said and I don't live rurally I live cl- pretty close to Victoria but um, you know can can you go down to the branch and have a conversation with somebody well. The reality is, like most of, well, a good majority of BC are, you know, a lot of people living, you know, very far from um, bank branches and and so on. So, yeah, I mean, anyway, it's not just that. It's it's uh, that just popped into my into my mind. But um, well, that's a 
that's great. I'm glad it's, I hope that it continues to drive, you know, more um, uh, participation and more um, awareness. Because I think part of the challenge, and I get a little bit, you know, sort of annoyed when we spend so much time talking about what we should, what we should call open banking, because to your point, you know, it's like that very, very, very famous famous uh, uh, quote from Henry Ford, right? You ask, if you ask, you know, if, if I asked a customer what they wanted, they would have said a faster horse because they don't, people aren't, they don't know. Yeah. They All they're trying to do is buy a house or, you know, send their kids to university or um, fund their kids, you know, education or like it has nothing to do with banking or it being open or anything else like that. And there's so many stories out there. Um, I don't think consumers need to be educated on using a term like consumer-driven banking, in my opinion. But but at the end of the day, they're the ones that need to say that. <laughs> they're yeah. the ones that need to go and tell their stories to their um, local uh, um, politicians. Um, and so... On that note, uh, and you and I have been in a couple of meetings lately where, you know, this whole idea about protecting the rights of consumers and, you know, maybe not businesses, um, but it should be more of a conversation about both. But certainly the consumer protection, consumer, you know, there's like people like to say that buy now, pay later is, you know, just so so terrible. And, you know, I think there's so many aspects of buy now, pay later that are wonderful um, for people. But uh, but this whole idea of consumer protection and how, you know, somehow fintechs are, you know, not good for consumers or that uh, the advocacy of, you know, fintechs prioritizes industry over consumer. Like, how do you how do you look at that and balance that those, you know, those two or multiple, you know, not opposing factors, but equally as important ones. Yeah. Okay. Like, so I don't like when people say things like fintech companies are unregulated. They're definitely not. Go go talk to any fintech company. Look at the compliance team. Um, they're not complying with laws that they themselves wrote, right? Like they, there are there's there's um, federal and provincial laws that they need to abide by that that manage a wide range of risks. Um, the Retail Payment Activities Act, which we talked about earlier, is pretty hefty regulation for a payment service provider. Um, but that's not all. The, that 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 payment service provider probably also needs to comply with the Proceeds of Crime, Money Laundering, and Anti-Terrorist Financing Act. Um, uh, the the the, the payment service provider also probably needs to comply with uh, provincial consumer protection regulation, which tells them the kind of contracts they can have with their customers and which contracts they can't. Uh, the Competition Bureau prevents them from being able to deceive um, their customers with false and mi mi misleading advertising. Um, fintechs are heavily regulated. They're not as heavily regulated as banks, but that's because they're not they're not banks. They don't do what banks do. They don't pose the same risks that banks do, and so they don't need to be regulated like banks. Um, that said, uh, you know, <laughs> the issue with certain financial services and their effects on Canadians is not so much always the, the, the issue, um, 
with the company and what the company is doing. Sometimes the company is doing everything it ought to be doing. It's it's clearly and accessibly um, telling a customer the the terms and conditions of its product. Um, Sometimes there's just asymmetric information or ability on the part of the customer to totally understand what they're doing. And and in cases like mm-hmm. this, in markets like this, it's often justification for the government to intervene a little paternalistically and help help the customer. Um, that can be in the form of regulation, some some uh, some some of which I de- described. Maybe we need more. Um, I'm not sure. To use your example of buy now, pay later, it needs to be regulated like a credit card, which is some others, uh, which is what I've heard from some corners of the market. Mm-hmm. By the way, buy now, pay later. Is that not just like <laughs> this year's version of, of like a charge card from like decades and decades ago? Except for when it's just simply for equal payments. Right. Okay. It's because totally. that was the, yeah, when when it was j- the, the, the like... Not that Klarna owns the creation of buy now, pay later, but the original thesis was to actually really replace credit cards and to say, you don't actually, you shouldn't be paying, you know, 20 to 30% interest on your credit card if all you just need is a little bit more time to pay it off. And the some of the initial business models were, you know, um, changing it from a credit card with credit card interest to a, you know, in some ways, like the same functional capabilities of a prepaid card with, you know, the, the, the business being the money to be made on the interchange fees. So that kind of ended up, I think, benefiting consumers the most and probably, you know, um, uh, you know, driving business to like some of that money to merchants more than more than to banks, right? Like I think that's that was the original. I don't know. I might be making a whole whole bunch of stuff up, but this is this is what I've you know yeah. sort of been able to glean, and I think that is a really solid value proposition. Like who doesn't, you know, for a business, if I need to buy four computers and I don't have the cash to do it, if I could pay in four payments yeah. and not have to be charged interest on my, you know, credit card, wouldn't I want to, like, why Why is that a bad thing? That's not me overextending myself. That's me not having to, yeah. you know, pay 29% for, uh, you know, two months. So yeah. anyway, I, yeah. I totally agree. And that's why, though, though I think sometimes, you know, there is a bit of um, a market failure for regulators to solve here. Mm-hmm. I think sometimes they should be wary of this idea that they always know what's best. Yeah. Um, it's easy to look at someone making decisions and say to yourself, this person's not rational, this person doesn't know what they're doing, they're undermining themselves. But there's often a lot we don't know about that person, their life, why they're making the decisions uh, they are. And by trying to correct the ostensible mm-hmm. failures, we may well make their life a lot worse. Just like how in that you know example you gave, we'd be making that that business owner's life a lot worse. We'd be making them less productive. Yep. Um, uh, yeah. uh, that 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 definitely wouldn't be good. And that's why you know sometimes certain people in the financial sector talk mm-hmm. loudly of how unregulated certain financial products are when that's not not entirely true. And sometimes I worry they're. Standing the flames of this quick and maybe mm-hmm. um, ill 
ill ill thought out tendency to just jump in and try to fit everything yeah. into these old boxes we have. Yeah. Yeah, cuz I mean, like just carrying on with that example of maybe what, you know, if if what buy now pay later started as because it was a new term, it was a new way of referring to a new a new way to pay, it it became, you know, when the banks jumped in with their products, they became credit card products where you could take a payment that you had made and you could switch it to a an installment you know program like you paid for it in cash you paid for it uh you know out of your bank account and so they're taking something that didn't cost you anything but now they're they're making it a credit card payment yeah and adding interest to it like isn't that worse than you know, letting a competitive alternative to credit cards yeah. exist? It, it's neither, I, I think, better or worse because it depends on the facts and circumstances. Yeah, I, you're right. Yeah. I think this is why it can be dangerous to look at payment products generally defined and try to regulate them in all one particular way. You'll yeah, kill yeah. what makes all these different instruments good for various subsets of the population. Yeah. Yeah. I think we ought to look at as well the fact that our regulations in Canada are principles and they're not actually rules, right? They're actually like I'm I'm I might be getting I got to stop saying this. <laughs> Somebody else will tell me if I'm wrong and I don't need to say that. But tell us like, in the comments if we're wrong. Yeah, they're principles. So, which is why folks like Osfi go in and you know, audit because at the end of the day, it's up to each bank to, you know, develop their own set of policies around how they're going to, you know, um, comply with the key principles of whatever regulation. And so, you know, who are we to say that Wealthsimple or Coho, because they're not regulated, don't, uh, uh, you know, comply with those very same principles just because they're not audited by OSFI? Yeah. Well, they're certainly audited by somebody else. I mean, uh, yeah, no, I got it. Yeah. Yeah. Um, while simple is a securities dealer and, yep. you know, um, yep. neo banks with their banking partners probably have to meet a whole host of requirements yeah. their banks have for them, which ultimately come from Aussie, which requires them to manage their third party. I'm glad risk. you mentioned so, that. Yeah. So like th there's, yep. there's no way you operate in the financial sector, um, without being supervised either directly or indirectly by a regulator. It just yeah. doesn't happen. Yeah. Huh. Well, we went on a tangent and I, uh, but I think, you know, it's interesting conversation. Like maybe, maybe something to think about is, you know, this whole, if it was, if it was, if we needed like hard and fast rules, our government would be issuing rules, not principles. Yeah. So there's something there. Okay. So let's talk about 2023. Um, how would you, uh, if you could summarize 2023 in a word, what would it be? Fuck. <laughs> um, I, I don't know if I can swear on the podcast. Someone will bleep oh, it out if I can't. It's but, your uh, podcast, so who cares? Um, <laughs> yeah, it it feels like that because uh, 2023 has been a great year uh, for our new brand, for all the members that have joined, for the success um, and progress uh, being made on our policy priorities. 
the big goal for this association is not those things per se. The big goal for this association is to become a scaled down version of the Canadian Bankers Association. Um, that was the original idea and promise of mm-hmm. um, this organization when it was first founded. And we're still a long way from doing that. Um, and so though we are a little closer and and certainly will ride the wave of momentum that's come from our 2023 wins, um, yeah, it, it, it doesn't feel... It doesn't feel like we've won yet. It doesn't feel like yeah. we've done the majority of work. So, um, yeah, the F-bomb is probably my word of 2023. That's amazing. I hope we don't bleep that out. Um, okay, so then when you look at 2024, like, um, do you have a word? I, I know you're going to talk to me about sort of what some of the things are on the radar for 2024, but can you think of one word for 2024? I struggle too because I'm not sure I see 2024 as being all that different from 2023. When I think about the cycles we're on, they kind of transcend the calendar. Like one of our focuses is making sure that Canada implements a consumer-driven banking framework. Um, mm-hmm. uh, what our activities look like don't don't change because it's now 2024 versus 2023. We discovered late this year that a lot of the questions have been answered. There are some that remain. And so we're going to do exactly what we've been doing. We're just going to focus on those particular questions. We're going to try to work closely with policymakers to understand their issues uh, and then provide policy options uh, for them to resolve them. Um, the, the, the work we've been doing in November and December will carry on to January and February and March. Um, if you had asked me this question post budget 2024, I might have been able to give you a better answer. But because we haven't reached that that milestone yet, I see, you know, the first bit of 2024 is just an extension of 2023. Okay. I'm going to tee you up for this one. Um, if you were a major, you know, Canadian financial institution, what would one word be for 2024? Probably also fuck. Um, exactly. Yeah, because uh, <laughs> they just their their agenda just got rewritten for them, right? Yeah, and yeah. there's been a lot of activity on fees, um, NSF yeah. fees, uh, low fee bank accounts. A lot of attention that I don't think um, Canada's banking sector wanted. Also, the bank tax. Um, like you, sometimes I hear. Yeah. Uh, people tell me that this government has been pro-bank because of how slowly they've moved <laughs> on consumer-driven banking and payments modernization. If you look at all the shit they've thrown at banks, you can't say in good faith that they're pro-bank. Um, mm-hmm. uh, they're pro-winning elections. They're pro-winning popularity contests as every political party is. <laughs> they're doing what they think Canadians want them to do. Um, so yeah, banks, banks, banks have had it rough for sure. Yeah. I had one of the most amazing bosses um, and uh, in early, early in my career. And um, it was when I was working for a company that uh, is now called Broadridge and it was headquartered out of Long Island, uh, New York. And we used to travel there all the time to have um, executive briefings on what we were doing in Canada. And one of the, th- and his name is Arden Cornford. Um, uh, one of the things he was one of those bosses that was like sue i will you know let you um do whatever you want and when you succeed i'll applaud you and when you fail um 
you'll get in trouble. But, you know, it was it was enough freedom for me to give me the ability to kind of like really get my career going in a in a cool direction. But he said, I came out of this meeting and I was so frustrated because like the whole executive team was like just not getting it. And I was like, ah, and he's like, you know what, Sue? They're not that smart. And I was like, what? What do you mean? You know what he meant? He didn't mean it literally. He meant, we're talking about things that they don't understand. And I know for a fact, you and I both probably, I think you would agree, when you go talk to people in Ottawa who have, you know, 15 or five minute meetings from eight o'clock in the morning to six o'clock at night and are trying to move files forward and stuff, they have no idea generally what they're talking about. Not ah, That's not the right way to put it. It's they, it, A lot of this is going to be stuff that is just unknown to them or new to them. Yeah. And yeah, so I really like that phrase. They're not that smart because it's it was it's like, oh, OK, well, you actually have to educate people, even yeah. if they're, you know, senior executives or senior bank, senior, you know, regulators. Most communication breakdowns, in my experience, happen because of diverging contexts. We don't share a common context. Therefore, we don't share a common understanding and therefore we don't understand a common language. And so I can't use the tools of language to make you think something differently from what you already think. That that takes a lot of time, mm-hmm. uh, a lot of conversations. Uh, it's messy. Um, I think that, frankly, has been one of the, the, the more mundane but statistically significant factors in why our files have been moving at the pace they have. Mm-hmm. Yeah, for sure. For sure. Okay. Let's talk about 2024 and maybe wrap this up and um, maybe you can give you know, those who are listening, a bit of a glimpse into what are you up to in 2024? Yeah. So the most pressing things are um, uh, that consumer-driven banking commitment needs to turn into um, a package of legislative amendments. Um, That's one of the things that's going to be taking up a lot of our time. Um, We will be putting together uh, the association's views on what what we think those outstanding questions are. Um, We'll provide some options for the government to solve them, and then we'll have all all the meetings we can to um, uh, try to foster that that common context, that common understanding, that common language we can then use to um, persuade persuade our audience. And I'm sure they'll they'll use to persuade us. It's not always one way. These conversations are often um, two way. So that's that's Mm -hmm. that's one thing. The other thing that we need to make a big decision about, and we're not yet ready to make a big decision about, is the real-time rail. Uh, there's been a lot mm-hmm. of progress on um, the RPA, on CP Act amendments, uh, but we're not yet closer to getting that real-time payment system up and running. Payments mm-hmm. Canada should be delivering an update to its board or a recommendation in January. Mm-hmm. Um, what exactly is in that recommendation, I think, will tell us what we need to be doing going forward uh, on that particular file. Um, uh, Mm -hmm. uh, we'll be continuing to grow our membership. Um, uh, we'll be hiring a person or two, um, and hopefully we'll be doing uh, a lot better everything Mm -hmm. that we do for our members. Hmm. Awesome. The choose more campaign will also still be running. Um, it'll probably change in, uh, the, the purpose and tone of the campaign may or may not change depending on what, on what we get. Um, to see in budget 2024. So that that's another thing to keep your eye out for, but uh, that's also a mm-hmm. bit of a TBD. 
And what are you hoping for this wonderful podcast that you have created? Well, that, that, I wouldn't say I created it. Uh, this is all you and, uh, and Ambreen. Uh, I hope, I hope it grows into something that we can all be proud of, uh, something mm-hmm. bigger than, um, the sum of all the, the parts bigger than all yeah. the people who have put it together. I think there's absolutely not enough, um, there aren't enough opportunities for fintech voices to speak. Uh, we do mm-hmm. have some fintech beat reporters in Canada, but you can count them on one hand. Mm-hmm. Our media landscape is nothing like what you see in the US. Um, yeah. And so, you know, if we can help create a way for um, fintech founders in this country to talk about what they're doing and what they need Canada to do for them, uh, you know, I think, I think we're doing part of what uh, we were created to do. Yeah. Well, there you go. Well, let's leave it there then. Thank you very much, Alex. It was Thank you, great to chat with you and yeah, um, have a happy new year. You too. Thanks for joining us. Looking for more insights? Visit us at fintechscanada.ca or follow us on LinkedIn. We'll see you next time for more on Canada's latest fintech innovations.